Okay, ready? Welcome back to Here on the Hill, a podcast from Montgomery Bill Academy in Nashville, Tennessee. This week's topic is peak performance. Our MBA students are known for performing on the field and in the classroom, but they also challenge themselves on the stage, in the courtroom, and on the chessboard. In this episode, we'll hear theater director Dr. Cal Fuller and MBA alum Jess Starnell reflect on many years of dramatic performances at MBA. But first, let's hear some current MBA students, C.H. Henry, Dhruv Chandra, and Matthew Kaplan, share their thoughts on some other kinds of performance. I'm C.H. Henry. I'm involved in a lot of different things. I guess uh, it's mainly going to be in the arts department. So uh, like this year, I'm one of the co-chairmen of Indata. I'm helping out with Chalophony. I uh, do a lot of service with Park Manor for the performances over there. I love theater just in general, and I feel like I can also act in mock trials. That's a big part of my life also. So performance to me is mainly just being in front of an audience and I feel like there's countless numbers of audiences everywhere. Um, and I love performing. I mean, you perform all the time on tests, I think, uh, during the day, just a presentation for a class. It could be in mock trial, one of my activities, or in theater. I think performance applies to everyone's lives. I think that, I mean, regardless of whether you're on the field or in the classroom or in the theater, I mean, uh, you're being watched in the world, and you really just want to do your best. And I think that there's countless audiences out there. And performance is really just, you know, what you can make the most of what you do. And performance for me, I always try to give it 100%, and I think everyone should. And so performance applies to everyone, and it's for everyone. I'm uh, Dhruv Chandra. I'm involved in soccer, chess. Uh, I play the saxophone for the Ellington Band, and I also do Science Olympiad. To me, the key to performance is being able to manage stress. Any situation that you have to have good performance in obviously is going to be stressful. And the person who's going to be the most rewarded from that situation is the one who can find the most creative solution while being relaxed. So specifically in chess, there are going to be many situations when you're going to be stressed because you can't find a certain move that gets you out of a tough situation. And obviously in chess, there's also a time restraint with a chess clock. So if you continuously, if you stress and panic and aren't relaxed, you're, you're never going to be able to find the one move that's, that's key to winning the game. But to, to have like the best possible performance, the key is to relax, take a few deep, deep breaths, and think about the move from a new point of view, as opposed to being panicked about it. To having like better performance at MBA, whether it's homework, a test, the final week before exams, the key is just to manage your stress. It's not something that just comes to people. It's something you definitely have to work on. All of us can work on it. But you're going to like soak in more material the week before exams while you're studying. If you're more relaxed, maybe listening to some music, as opposed to if you're scrambling through all your papers and just trying to put everything in your head messily, as opposed to calming down and soaking it all in. Uh, my name's Matthew. So I'm involved with the student newspaper, The Bell Ringer, um, Mock Trial, and the Honor Council. I also have run cross-country and track. I think performance is the ability to kind of uh, have a presence in front of other people and to make yourself uh, available for other people to listen to whatever you have to say, 
or whatever you're trying to convey, whether that's an argument or some sort of emotion, but it's the ability to put yourself uh, on display to convey some sort of feeling or point uh, to an audience. I'd say performance in mock trial is definitely more on the persuasive side for me and less on the uh, like emotional side. And I think it's important because in mock trial you're trying to prove something to a group of people who are judging you based on how well you're proving that. And a lot of what that requires is uh, the ability to sound confident, to respond in the moment to things you don't anticipate. And in that sense, you are performing because you're trying to convey a certain presence or confidence that comes with arguing whatever it is you're arguing because that makes you more persuasive. If I'm ever asked to like speak at an event or meet with people, it's not really a performance so much, but it is always important uh, how you conduct yourself and how you present yourself. So in that sense, it is sort of like a performance if you ever have to give a speech in front of people, even if you're not doing any sort of acting, because how uh, you present yourself in terms of your body language and in terms of your tone is obviously really important in whatever you're talking about. While C.H., Dhruv, and Matthew have plenty to share, we just couldn't do an episode on peak performance without talking to Dr. Cal Fuller, who joined the NBA Arts Department in 1997. Dr. Fuller has directed an incredible variety of productions since then, several including former student Jess Darnell, who graduated with NBA's class of 2015. Recently, school librarian Jane McMahon sat down with Dr. Fuller and Mr. Darnell to discuss some memorable performances and the lasting value of the NBA theater program. So, Dr. Fuller, can you start us off by telling us about when you first joined Montgomery Bell and what do you remember about your earliest productions here? That's thinking back a long way. Uh, I think the number of kids that were involved in theater at the time was fairly small and trying to figure out um, how to do all the different aspects of theater when it was only me uh, and a bunch of students was was a little overwhelming. It was daunting at first. Um, so I had I knew how to sew, but I've never made a costume from scratch before, and I had to figure out how to do costumes. We had someone in the art department who would build sets who had some a background in construction, so he did everything with two by fours and. That was interesting. And then just negotiating the fact that we were working in a space that is with a lot of other, uh, where a lot of other events take place. It was, the days were extremely long. It was exciting, you know, and the kids seemed very excited about what we were doing, but it was largely overwhelming. (laughs) (laughs) And trying to come up with a full season. And, you know, I, I have a lot of theater colleagues now. I did not then. So it was, it was sort of a one-man band with a bunch of uh, energetic teenagers who were more than glad to help. But uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was quite overwhelming for the most part. <laughs> and Jess, uh, can you remember what your first MBA production was when you were a student? Yeah, I, <laughs> it was a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. And it was when Dr. C, Rick C, was directing the junior school play. 
or the musical, I guess, as it, as it was at that point. I think we've it's slowly switched to, I don't know if it's still a musical or not. Um, but I remember the day he made the announcement in Massey Commons and thinking, oh, finally, here we go, great. And <laughs> I auditioned with a couple of seconds from there ain't nothing like a dame from South Pacific in his little office in the Carter building. <laughs> it was, it, I, uh, yeah. And I guess the rest is, the rest is history. I suppose but that was my, that was the first, first go. It, it was a, you know, silly kind of tiny walk home part and there wasn't really you know, much to it, but we had a ball. Yeah. It was good fun. Good fun. Before we talk more about MBA productions, I'd really, I think people would be fascinated here just a little bit about your theater superhero origin stories. So, um, <laughs> you know, so basically when did you know you were going to be a capital T theater person? So was there a lightning bolt? Was it something more gradual? Have you just always been this way? What's the story there? I think it's a bit of a combination of the two. I mean, I... I will never forget the first drama class I took in seventh grade at Baylor School in Chattanooga with a woman named Rosemary Nower who changed my life. But it, but it was, it was, it wasn't because we were doing theater. It was just because it was so exciting and fun in her class, and she was a wonderful teacher and and gave us fantastic projects to work on. And I mean, I have some specific memories of things we did in her class, like right before Halloween, we had to do a Halloween themed project and I remember very specifically the who was in my group and what we did and I did junior high shows with her but they were small and I did some high school shows even starting in junior high so she was definitely encouraging and I did summer camps with her and then she moved to Baltimore and we had a different theater teacher and then another different theater teacher and my senior year I was in Midsummer Night's Dream with the person who became my uh, uh, mentor of sorts Shaq Van Dusen and that was a transformative experience. I loved being in Shakespeare, and I thought I really want to study Shakespeare in college, and did, and in graduate school as well. But I wasn't sure from what perspective. I mean, I majored in English in undergrad, and I have a master's in English from the University of Chicago, but I went to the University of Chicago to study with David Bevington because he was the most well-known Shakespeare scholar, and I had met him at Davidson. So I still wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do, and then decided to transfer to Northwestern and really focus on performance and directing. Uh, because I didn't think, when I would ask questions about how these plays were performed in Shakespeare's day, the, in the University of Chicago people said, well, we, don't, we don't really, we're not particularly interested in that. We're interested in the words on the page. And I said, well, I like that too. So I, I don't know. I think in some, in some ways I think I could have ended up any number of different places. You know, I, I think I always knew from the experience I had with teachers in junior high and high school that I wanted to teach. But what subject it was, I, I, think, I think it could have been anything. What's wonderful about theater is it, it feels like to me it's putting literature into action, you know, and, and understanding it as a, as, a, as a living document that, or, you know, a do document from another time and another world that can be made alive again, brought alive again. And I, I love that, and I love I love the ability for it to transform lives of other people. But I don't know. I guess I am a theater person with a capital T, but I don't I don't think of myself that way exactly. Still. <laughs> <laughs>
I think I think a, I, I think I'm a man of the humanities, you know, more so. And it happens to be that theater is what I do most of the time, and I love it. I love 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 it, and I love everything about theater people. But <laughs> you know, I think yeah, and friends and costumes make everything better. So you know, <laughs> I guess in that sense, I'm really a theater person. But. <laughs> and Jess, um, what grade did you come to MBA? I came to MBA in 7th grade. We had, we had only had one play at my elementary school. We had a 3rd grade play. But I think the I kind of realized it was a sort of a gradual thing um, because we were raised watching old Hollywood classic films and seeing people like Catherine Hepburn and Sidney Poitier and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and you know, knowing about people like Kim Stanley and Jessica Tandy and really kind of powerhouse actors and actresses, and possibly maybe through witnessing broadcasts of award shows, becoming aware that becoming aware of the fact that that was a career path and that was something that is that, that people do for a living. It wasn't just some kind of really wonderful thing that you found at Blockbuster or you you know managed to find a video of on YouTube it was an actual thing that you could you could pursue so it was sort of a it was a mixture of I was around a lot of media and arts anyway um, my parents took me to TPAC and the National Children's Theatre and we did field trips as, as well in in school um, so it was a it it was a hodgepodge of things for me it, it wasn't wasn't like a, a sort of snap moment of going oh this is it this is it Okay. Well, you know, anyone, anyone who's walked the hallways, you know, outside our, our theater here, maybe like me, has just been blown away by all of the posters of previous mm. productions. We have amazing artwork on all of those posters, but also just by the breadth some of, of productions. Some of that's his artwork. Some of that's your artwork. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I've learned that going through the archives. But, you know, there's everything. Aristophanes, Shakespeare, there's Fahrenheit 451, there's Oh, What a Lovely War. Yeah. And there have been repeat productions of, of some of these um, some of these plays and mm. works. And I'm curious for either of you, mm. is there another production that you most want to maybe take another go at, like have another crack at it, maybe from a different angle, knowing maybe something different than when it was originally produced here? Well, I think for for me, a lot of the parts I played are written for men in their forties or thirties, and so being able to being slightly closer in age to those parts and having now gone away and actually trained as an actor, I got I had an incredible opportunity to brush up against and have inter have these encounters with these amazing plays and these amazing playwrights and such a such a vast <laughs> selection of dramatic works that you hope for if you're pursuing a career in the arts but I was not yet 19 and was playing Salieri in Amadeus that's the one I was thinking about too yeah, yeah I would, he, I would he love to do it again sophomore when he played Salieri yeah. which and, and it's funny because it's one you sometimes forget that you did and I think that's why yeah because he was playing someone so mature and he, he was amazing he was really amazing but at the same time I'm sure you're thinking I'm not that person. How am I? How am I pulling this off? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, my my in-laws still talk about it. They were at that show, and it's like, who is that guy, and what is he doing? <laughs> right? But I I don't blame you. I would think yes, I'd love to do this when I'm closer to that age. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? And and even um, something like Elephant Man as well. 
I'd love uh, to get, take another whack at it. It'd be amazing. And even Lucky Stiff. I mean, that's yeah. a mature guy who's you know a little bit past his youthful, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's part of what's so charming about him. Right. But <laughs> you had to act on that. <laughs> yeah, I was you were still a sophomore. That was right. sophomore year too. Yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. It? yeah. Was. That's crazy. Let's see. I'm trying to imagine what age is Solieri. I think he's supposed to be in. I think he's early forties. Mm-hmm. I think the figure forty-three is coming to my head for some reason. Mm-hmm. But I think it's yeah. He's somewhere around. And Mozart is a kid. You know, Mozart's probably was is was realistically probably closer to my actual age when I did the show. Mm-hmm. So I guess in another twenty years we'll all be back here. Right. Sure. Sure. Why not? Sure. In the renovated uh, theater building. We'll yeah, and you back. had mentioned at some point too. I mean, uh, uh, productions you're really proud of. That's one of the ones I'm really proud of that we could pull off. Yeah. And it also felt like it. We had the right people at the right time, but trying to get you know chairs that looked like they were from that time period. We ended up renting from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville because they had done a production, and I drove a U-Haul over the over the plateau that. and back. Uh, twice <laughs> to borrow those chairs they were wonderful you know but it, it was it was a really demanding show that i thought we did beautifully and and a show i've always loved so it, there is that that sense of being able to be the i don't know the midwife or whatever you are when you deliver a production like that um that that you really care about is is fantastic and I, i've gotten the chance to do the tempest twice and it's a play that's an interesting one for me because when i first did it my, ch- my own children were young, and I loved the show, and I thought it was a beautiful show, and I had a, ma- a, a magnificent cast of both times. But the second time, I was much closer to Prospero's age, and even though I wasn't playing Prospero, I mean, he is a kind of magician who's, who's doing a production to, uh, in, in this spell, he's cast over the people on the island in order to get them to a place of repentance. And it's all about um, also sacrifice for his daughter who he needs to take back to society so she can have the full opportunity she needs to have in her life. I just found, I found going back to that play closer to the age of the main character was really rewarding in an amazing way and 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 so watching that show every day was rewarding to me i don't know what it meant to those kids because they're the age of miranda they're not the age of prospero but uh, but we did talk about you know the parents have decided to make sac or he's decided to to give up his exile which he's enjoying in order to go back to society which would you know was corrupt and cruel to him because it's a better opportunity for his daughter and you've got to do what's right for her so hopefully they know they understand that sacrifice. <laughs> well, kind of along those lines of mm. productions that might have been especially challenging mm. and rewarding. Thinking, um, thinking back, and this might be something you personally experienced, mm. or maybe it's something you observed in a student or classmate, um, or you know, a scene partner. Right. Which is, have you observed or experienced a real breakthrough moment? Can you remember, mm. like maybe? Uh, a show wasn't going so well and you're thinking about, you know, and we're going up in a couple of weeks and then one day you see someone have a breakthrough or the whole cast and crew just kind of come together and like rise to the occasion. Can you think of anything mm. like that that's, that you've experienced or observed over the years? I recall a, uh, an incident like that occurring every year with the musical. 
mm. with the big kind of 11 o'clock group number where it was it was everybody's on stage we've got this huge music it's the it's the show that has or it's the the musical number that has the biggest dance break and the big like all these crazy switchovers and transitions and it's the one that we just can't get right and we're you know the, we're on a bit of a time crunch the show is approaching very quickly and there was always a point where we went you know what we either need to come in on a saturday on our by ourselves or stay behind mm-hmm. after uh, dr fuller and miss hammy go home and we just run it until we get it right and we just kind of encourage each other and cheer each other cheer each other on and really tighten the screws on it otherwise it's going to look like crap <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we just had to we were just kind of running for it and just we would and there were these amazing i remember being at harpeth hall doing the pajama game and running the once a year day song which is this mm. ridiculous dance number that's about mm. six six minutes long and um that Fosse originally did the choreography for yeah. in the movie, anyway. I think also in Broadway. Big, complicated thing. And I remember being on the side and just kind of clocking that we had all got, we had all recognized what we had to do as a group of 30 or 40 kids. I'm going, let's make this great. And we did. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it, were, it was those moments that were so empowering as a young person to be involved in a production. Throughout, I mean, it, it occurred in so many different circumstances in right. the theater department. Yeah. But it it was it was those moments that really uh, they stick with you and that they're they're really special. Gatsby's another one, I think. Mm. For me, mm. play because I, I was playing Nick, and there were all these kind of crazy transitions and lots of set pieces moving and um, and it's and, a difficult but, ma- but magic moments. Yeah, that, that and you could feel the actors feeling the magic in the scenes when you were watching the performance. And I don't always sense that. I mean, you know, sometimes it feels like you're moving through the motions of making sure everything gets in place. Yeah. But there's the, the moment when Gatsby died and we had a water effect that was going on and then he fell to the ground and there was a funeral that followed that. And that, that, that was all very powerful. And you could tell that the actors were being affected by it. Yeah. And I, I, build, I would build on one of the... One of the th- I talk about I was thinking about Lucky Stiff and the pronoun song. Oh yeah, the doors, Absolutely. which had all these slamming doors in them that had to hit certain notes in the music. It was the hardest thing in the entire show, and it was late in the play. Yeah. And what was amazing to Miss Hammy and I is that the cast would come in on those days and say, "We want to run that first because it's the hardest, and we want to go at it while we have the most energy." Yeah. And they would, and they nailed it. Ultimately, you know, and it was super it was like, hey, hard. Yeah, it's awesome. uh, yeah, it great. And I can't remember what it was really called. He, it, she, it, something. It was, yeah, something like that. So we just called it the pronoun, <laughs> we just pronoun song. things. Yeah. But it was very, very funny. And we, we had, and, and Stephanie Hamilton and I had figured out we wanted, to do, we wanted to do this visual joke that was not in the play. It was written with a rabbi, a nun, and a priest who were behind the door. So when the, they were supposed to be different hotel, hotel doors where they were searching for someone. Right. And they keep going to look and somebody's behind them. But we were mixing up the doors and mixing up those three people. So anytime they went to a door, it was a different person of these three people. Um, and it seemed like a joke like you would have heard, you know, during the generation when the play is taking place. You know, that a, a, a nun, a priest, and a rabbi walk into a bar. And, yeah, that kind know, of thing. That kind of thing. It's quite something. Um, yeah, I, I do think there are, I, I hope there are moments that are, tr- that, 
the power of the play comes through to the actors in the moment that they're acting it as opposed to just so that they're allowed to be in that moment and realize the power of the thing they're creating mm -hmm. and I, and it doesn't happen all the time but i do think when it does happen that's the thing that can hook a kid who's doing it yep. um, because you you realize you're you're part of a magical event or a transformative event something that really can i don't know make very clear crystal clear one of life's profundities <laughs> yeah. and sometimes the profundity is if a bunch of people get together and work on something it's transcendent what they can mm -hmm. do together it's, really, really it's amazing that you all have had those experiences in the theater program here and you know i hope every student here gets that moment for some it might be in a yeah. science lab for some it might be on the basketball court right but yeah. I, I really hope every kid gets to have a moment like these amazing things you all are describing <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and i should say i mean th there are times when the kids have have never given up their dissatisfaction with who was cast where you know it doesn't happen often but when that happens that's very hard to overcome because they're so trenched into this this didn't go the way I saw it going, right? as opposed to going, you got to trust where this, this journey is going to take you. Um, but if you do trust where the journey takes you, it takes you to amazing places. Wow. So, you know, so I mentioned some of the other things we have going on on our campus and mm -hmm. our classrooms and on the athletic fields. And sometimes say like in a classroom, whether it's science or English, there might be more specific objective ways of measuring mm. success. Mm -hmm. It could be a test score or even something slightly more objective like English. There might be a rubric for a theme. And with our athletic teams, they have wins and losses. And you know if you had a championship season or not. Mm -hmm. But when we look at the theater program, I think everyone agrees MBA has a wonderful, thriving theater program. But I'm really interested in what you two think are the markers of a successful school theater program. Just in general, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's if it's accessible and if there is, if the kids are walking away with a sense of confidence and a sense of community and a better understanding of themselves, then I think it's, I think that's it really. It's, you know, you don't have to be, I think being at drama school was funny because I had an acting teacher go, remember you're not, you know, you're not saving people out of burning buildings, you're not, you know. You're not doing... Brain surgery. Right. Or rocket science. You're not really saving lives, but it can transform lives. And I think if, if the program is vibrant enough and supported enough so that it can reach out and embrace any kid that walks in wanting to explore Shakespeare or mm -hmm. play around a bit in a costume or just give it a shot or, you know, see if they like it or not um, or do it because someone said you really ought to do this. You know, if they're able to walk in and leave a little bit more fearless than they were mm -hmm. when they came in, I think it's, you've got a successful program running. I, I think he said that very well. I mean, I, I hope it is, you know, as I think back on what I hope has happened while I'm here, I mean, I, I feel like there is a place for everybody in theater. It may not be the place they think is <laughs> their place. You know, it may not be the lead in the musical. Um, especially if they can't sing, uh, but but there is a place for everybody who is looking for a place, you know. And I, I think there is an openness in theater. I think in the arts in general, but in theater in particular, that says, "Come on in," you know. There's something for everybody here. Um, 
what you take from that is up to you to a certain degree. But if you have grown yourself more open to human experience and to the arts, you know, I think I, I also hope I, I try to say this every time we go to see a show that, that I hope they'll continue seeing shows in their life, even if they're not pursuing their arts themselves. That, but they'll also there's a good chance that they'll be on the board somewhere or be a patron somewhere of the arts and that that's something that I hope is an outgrowth because that makes your life more rich. And uh, just as heard me say this a thousand times, theater people are wonderful people who stay in touch with each other, who love to laugh together, and you know, and you can cry together as well. And they're they're not afraid of any of that. That's those are pretty good characteristics to have as you go through life because you're going to encounter all of those challenges that you you know saw presented dramatically on stage. Great. Well, you and kind of just prepared. provided me a great segue into my next question mm. about the bigger picture and mm. life and all. So uh, I often think about something I heard from mm. Tina Fey that I think she originally attributes to Saturday Night Live producer Lorna Michaels. Mm. And it's about the pressure of making a weekly live show. Right. And it goes something like, the show doesn't go on because it's ready. It goes on because it's 1130. That's right. And I think about that uh, a lot, not because I'm in show business, which I am not, but I think it's a really valuable way to think about life. And you're not always going to feel ready for things, and sometimes you just have to show up and do your best. So if a student leaves MBA and never sets foot on a stage or mm -hmm. backstage again, what's something valuable he takes away from his theater experience here? Uh, trust that everything will be okay and that if you're out there with a group of people that you've been working with no matter what happens you're gonna get through and and you're gonna provide joy for other people both in the beauty in which you've accomplished what you're doing your goal and also the ways in which it's failed you know that, that it, there, there's there's something very reassuring about that as well you know uh, I, Rick C. used to always say, it'll be what it'll be. I mean, he had such peace about opening night. There are things that we didn't get to, you know, that we I would have loved to spend more time on. Um, and then there are other things that completely exceeded my expectations, and, you know, and makes me tear up at just how amazingly they nailed it. It's always going to be a combination of those things, and it's okay. You know, that's part of your acceptance of yourself, which we were talking, you were talking about so well, a minute mm -hmm. ago, you know, a growing confidence in yourself and also a sense that it's going to be okay even when I fail. Failure's okay. It's part of how I grow. And failure can be funny. There's some of the greatest stories. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's <laughs> of, the improv story. You, yeah. you, you mentioned uh, Tina Fey. Well, first of all, it makes you all come together. You know, when, some, when somebody drops a prop or drops a line in a show, everybody is suddenly in the moment and working to solve that problem together, and they do, and most of the time the audience has no idea. Right. And even if they do, which is the failure that happens in improv all the time, where you say a line that is complete dud, and the audience laughs at how miserably sad that line is, <laughs> you, th th they've laughed at your failure, but they're not laughing at you. They're laughing at th that, you that you're out there trying on this trapeze and you fell off and there's a safety net and everything's just fine and you move on to the next line and we've already forgotten that. And that's an awfully good life lesson as well. You know, don't hold on to that. Move on to the next thing because there's going to be a lot coming at you in life. You know, you can't stay back there on that last one that everyone else has already forgotten. 
and enjoyed that you put yourself out there and took the chance. Half of the humor in improv is that it doesn't always work. The other half is, is when it does and you just kind of go, oh, wow, that was an amazing response, you know. But half of it is that didn't work at all. And it's okay because they're still up there. They're still giving it everything they've got. There's some sense of the, the joy you get from improv, I think, is that resiliency and will, willingness to put yourself up there and be foolish, you know, because that'll get you through a lot. <laughs> as well as the serious, you know, discipline of practicing and practicing and practicing and giving it, giving it your best with a group of people that you trust and you've built trust with and you're counting on being the safety net for you while you're up there. I'm reminded of being in Lucky Stiff and there was a performance where I had, there, it was during a song where I had to lift a fellow student into a wheelchair while singing and the musical phrases kind of matched up and there was a there was the same same sort of melody but different lyrics but i had to get the first one right for the second set of lyrics to rhyme correctly and i said the second lyric first by accident and so what came out the second time was i think i said something like with you by my la da 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 like i actually just said la da 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 and I recall seeing someone in the front row pull a face like, what in the world just came out of his mouth? But the music just keeps playing. <laughs> and you just you just keep going. And you have a dead person sitting on your lap. And you've, got, not really a dead and person. you've got to you gotta get the corpse out of the room. And you just yeah, you just what, keep plowing on. Was was that the same one where the corpse did not end up in the same pl in the place it was supposed to be? It was not supposed to be in your lap, was it? Well, it was. <laughs> he was supposed to be, or he was on the ground, or it, something happened with that. There was there, well, there was no. There was another night where I we had these ramps set up from the crosswalk down onto the stage level, and I was it was in a chase scene. During my ramp phase, right? <laughs> and I had there was it was. It was, I believe it was Coleman Sorensen who was playing the yes. corpse, and he was in the chair, and I'd go down this ramp, and the wheelchair had footrests on the bottom, and the ramp was at such an angle that the footrest caught on the floor at the bottom of the ramp, and Coleman went flying out of this wheelchair. Of course, he's a corpse, so he's not about to catch his fall, is he? And um, I just, the audience roared laughter, and I just have to pick this guy up because it's all timed out to music and things. and Yeah, but you just got to you got to fling the corpse in the chair and keep running. Maybe that's what the title of this episode can be. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it is just a there's, a, there's a vitality and a spontaneity. And there's a, there's a wonderful sort of softness that comes with letting things kind of wash through and run through and you just play along and keep playing along. Mm -hmm. And if live theater still has meaning, which I do believe it does, part of it is... The reason, and the reason people come when the doors are open is because they want to know what's going to happen when the corpse falls out of the chair. Exactly. You know, they don't really care what happens. They just want to see you handle it. And that there's the life skill, too. I mean, it's problem solving where there's so much safety, you know, when in other times there's not as much, you know. And so we want to know that you can problem solve and see how see you doing it. Well, you if, know? You can and, problems, if you can problem solve in front of 400 people right. in the heat of a moment... Within the same count of eight, you can probably deal with other situations in, in the heat of a moment right. with a degree of calm, which is, I think that's a huge thing, is being able to get familiar with your own nerves and... Yeah, and putting you know. it in perspective. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you learn about putting things in perspective quickly. 
Well, all of this is so fantastic <laughs> here. I think, I think if we could, we would give our students and our kids and our other loved ones just the ingrained ability to believe that you can fail and it will be okay. But since we can't do that, maybe the next best thing is we give them these right. opportunities to experience it. Yeah, or give, yeah. Them, a, or give yeah. them a theater ticket. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it, it, it's a totally different topic. But I mean, I, th I think in a program in school, at the beginning, there's really no risk. You know, if you create it right, it's all about it's all about process. It's not about product, although there might be a little one because parents really love to see that. But, but it's really, it's all about process and feeling comfortable and all of that. And then later, the product becomes more important and there, there is slightly more risk involved. But they have the confidence at that time that they're ready to soar and, you know, and, and make it work and see and test themselves in a larger degree. Okay. That's good. Well, um, I really appreciate your time. I've got one final question here. Uh -oh. yeah. Um, is there anything you want to say to the kids out there who have thought about trying out for their school play or their school musical or their school improv group and but they haven't quite gotten up the nerve to do it or they're not sure they would like it or, or if it's for them so what what would you say to those kids out there just do just it, do it yeah. just do it feel the fear and do it anyway yeah yeah and to know that the risk is small you know it's very small I th and I, th I think, it, and in high school, I think the risk is even less. You know, I think in junior high, kids are so self-confident, so self-conscious and worried about all that. And in high school, no, everybody's going to be there with you, you know, it's great. And I, I think you would echo this. I mean, I've never had a senior say, boy, I wish I'd done less theater while I was here. Yeah. Hundred percent. There are always people. They're that always join say, us right at the yeah, end, and they do it. Yeah, just for the one acts or whatever, and they say, ah. Why did I wait until now? We're all like, mm. yeah. <laughs> Well, Mr. Jess Darnell and mm -hmm. Dr. Cal Fuller, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to hear you talk about MBA's theater program today. Thanks for those great questions. Yeah, it was thanks fun. very much. We hope you enjoyed this exploration of peak performance at MBA. We'll close this episode with the latest edition of Words to Live By a series of personal reflections by the MBA community. Next up is Jacob Hanai, a current student in the class of 2020. Thanks for listening to Here on the Hill. So while I was researching into more of who MLK was as a person, I came across some of his words that really stood out to me. And this is the quote. I'm convinced that people hate each other because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other. And they don't communicate with each other because they are separated from each other. I came into MBA as a seventh grader and I had never really experienced a school as large as MBA. I came from a school with 11 kids in my grade and it was all Jewish. When I got to MBA, there were three Jewish kids in my grade and I really felt alone for the first time in my life. And that caused me to kind of fear everybody else. I wasn't talking to many people. I didn't know how to communicate with anybody else and I wasn't really present in the MBA community. And what I've tried to do my upper class years at MBA is make sure that anybody that is feeling this way, I want them to not have to go through the same things that I had to go through. The key to this is communication. And if we can create an environment on campus and in the world that sparks a desire for communication so that people can talk to each other and learn from each other, I think that this world would definitely be a better place. And those are my words to live by.